I am Zane Lamprey. This is The Zane Lamprey Show. I am right now, as you're listening to this, out on the road someplace in the world, in the country, I don't know, uh, doing stand-up. Come join me and your friends uh, for a night of stand-up comedy, great beer, fun stories, good times. Go to ZaneLamprey.com, get your tickets. So my guest today is Maz Jabroni. If you don't know the name, you know, you know the face. If you don't know the face, you probably don't know the name. Does that make sense? Uh, you would know Maz from a, a lot of movies uh, and guest star appearances on TV shows. Uh, also, uh, as a regular on Superior Donuts with Judd Hirsch. A funny show. So he is a stand-up comic, and he uh, has two specials out right now. One is called Immigrant on Netflix. We go watch it right now. I'm sure you have Netflix. Uh, and then on Peacock, you may have Peacock, uh, ne- uh, NBC's streaming network. He has a show called Pandemic Warrior. Both very funny. I've watched both. Pandemic Warrior was filmed in Dubai right before the, t- the pandemic. So we talk about that. We talk about his Iranian upbringing, moving to the U.S. when he was six, and his journey into comedy and then into adulthood and then into uh, an age that we currently both are residing at. I'm talking about that age bullshit. So listen to the interview. Maz is a very funny, smart, interesting guy. This is a great interview with Maz Jobrani. One, two, one, two, three, four. Yeah, so for me, it's like I I think about my age every day. Yeah. And in my mind, I kind of, and I, maybe I'm preparing for this, like I kind of think of myself as being 50, even though yeah. that's a next year thing. Yeah. But maybe that'll make the Do you the, want the to day. talk about this on the, sh- on the we sh- are. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, good. good. I'm I wasn't sorry. sure. Okay, good, yeah. good, good. I wasn't sure. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah go sorry, on. I pressed record. I yeah, I was, I, was, I, was, oh. I was like, this is good stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I see. Well, now I'm going to start over. No, no, no. Okay, no, here. Keep going. Uh, all right, well, good. So, so well, I'm going to start over just so you know like that we're on. No, no, I don't mind. We're fine. Yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah, cool. Totally. Um, so. Wait, are we starting now? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Let's schedule this for Tuesday. I only work when I hear action. Yes, sorry. So, action. No, Mr. thank you very much. Mr. Gerbani, you're on. Did Go. they tell you I'm a movie star? They did. Thank you. They Go did. Ahead. They yes. said to make sure that you said and don't, <laughs> which is interesting in an interview, to not look you in the eye and sit not facing away from you. Yes, exactly. It's fine. Yeah, I'm and fine. I, and I needed a crew, but I'm you fine with that. Oh, and crew. You, can you please look towards me? It's <laughs> a little you, awkward. Have you heard about that? Like, I think, I think they said, uh, I think it was... Um, Clint Eastwood, they say, like uh, he he doesn't say action. He's just like he's like act or or yeah or some Be- kind begin of, or something like something that. something yeah. like that yeah. to like lower the or just like okay yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. okay uh, okay yeah, yeah but I did say that <laughs> yeah, you didn't yeah. know that I yeah, right, I'm, right. I am very similar to, yeah. to Clint Eastwood you are you are the Clint Eastwood but but like in your so in your do, are you the same way do you th- does your age like pop into your brain once a day all the time all the time because i think also the world we live in you know a couple of things first of all i don't even know if there is a profession where people are only categorized by age i mean like is there an oh, office you mean is, besides ours well no 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 besides not, entertainers? No, 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 no what i'm saying is we come across young people all the time yeah now if you were i don't know a doctor you're still going to come across young people every there isn't a profession where they go. It's except maybe the Congress, where they're all a bunch of old people. Yeah. But for the most part, I think that because we come across young people, whether it's as performers, yeah. fellow performers, or audience members, we're reminded of our age all the time. Yeah, so that's right. You know, I, I I remember one time, I was at the Laugh Factory, and I and I made a reference to Marlon Brando, and the the younger people in the audience were just staring at me, and I was like. Marlon Brando, the one of the greatest actors of the. 20th like, if there's one person in that place that didn't know, you should just have him leave. Well, they, yeah, they, the guy didn't know. And didn't, was, hadn't hadn't like heard of they him. They hadn't heard of Marlon. Brando. And then I said the Godfather, and they were kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, that guy, like that guy. Yeah. And then it's funny because okay. right. then I was doing a, a a book talk later at a university, and and the teacher was a couple like a little bit a couple years younger than me, mm-hmm. and I told her because somebody asked the question, they go, "What's it like performing?" in different parts of the world is right. there a cultural disconnect i said as a matter of fact a lot of the material i do in the u.s translates over there because you're talking about your family or whatever it works right but i said the bigger disconnect is generational and i mentioned the whole marlon brando thing and then the t- the professor who was around my age was like 
oh, people don't know who Marlon Brando is? I go, I don't know. Let's ask your students. Yeah. I said, who here knows Marlon Brando? Like one hand went up. No, stop I it. I swear to God. The Island of Dr. Moreau? I'm telling you. That's <laughs> the so, worst movie. <laughs> so, here's, so here's the thing I realized. I said, the difference is when we were younger, there was, what, three networks or four networks. So yeah. we were watching the yeah. old generation. We, uh-huh. we, I watched Leave it to Beaver even though it was 20 years. Because there wasn't enough content. Wasn't there. enough content. Yeah. Now, you go through your life not watching television. Like We don't even know each other's shows. Mm-hmm. We don't even know each other's mediums. Like You could be a big you know snapchat person and all your stars are snapchat people mm-hmm. and my stars are who hollywood tells me my stars mm-hmm. are you know mm-hmm. so that reminds me of my age all the time when i'm talking to people and i'm going oh god that's just like the fact that there's so much out there right yeah, right, right right but but the but the generational thing and the age thing is always a reminder i mean you're being reminded all the time i went to some Frozen yogurt place. I was getting frozen yogurt. Lady, this lady, this girl's like, um, you're 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 that comedian, right? I go, yeah. She goes, yeah. My parents love you. And I'm like, oh god. <laughs> oh, here we go. I right. Go, Come on, woman. But that's the thing too. Is like, is is back when there were three channels on, you pretty much knew everyone on the three channels because yeah, there wasn't yeah. a lot of people to know. Yeah. Now it's like. You know, your your specials on the Peacock. There yeah. is still NBC. Yeah. There's, there's all these different OTTs yeah. And, yeah. and things to get. Also, I think when we were kids, old people felt old. They did. We feel like in our minds, we think we're younger at least. And we are relative. We don't dress older. I don't right. have a briefcase. Right. Back in the day, they had at 40, they had a briefcase and they were angry all the time. You remember Wilford Brimley in, in Cocoon? Yes. And he was like 50. Yeah. And he and he in my mind still he feels like sixty five. Yeah, yeah. Because it was just maybe maybe he was just older. But but another thing you just brought up is is okay. So I have my apparel company. Yeah. And we just hired someone, uh, a female, and I'm saying that for a specific reason, who is thirty seven years old. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we just hired this girl. Well, I mean, a woman. I don't know. Yeah. Is it yeah, a girl yeah. or is it a woman? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Because like, yeah. and then I had my. My old business managers who uh, had a like a secretary, whatever, and he's like, Oh, my my girl handled that for you. Right. And I was like, Oh, that's what was was that ever okay? Yeah. yeah <laughs> it was like yeah, that's yeah. some madman shit yeah, right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. in your mind, how old do you feel if you had to put a number on it? I mean, I probably feel earlier forties in my mind. My body reminds me that I'm yeah. later forties. Yeah. I still fifty feels like, wow, half a century, really? Yeah. That, that yeah, in my mind, earlier forties. Like like if I if I'm going if I get an audition, it says early forties or forties. I'm like I could do that. Yeah. It says thirties. I'm like ah, you're pushing it. Yeah. I go, you're really pushing well, it. Well, we have to, we'd have to do a, little, a quick little die job. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the other thing with like, I've dyed the beard before, and it's fine. It feels a little younger, but mm-hmm. then it just goes away, and then yeah. you're like, oh, what a pain in the ass! I gotta keep doing that. I know, I know. I mm-hmm. I I was doing it. And my wife said she likes it. And I was just like, now I can see myself in the mirror. And it's just like, it does, it, oh, so, so I have a beard and it gets gray on the side and it gets a little gray here in the, on the chin. Yeah. And I, um, I'll see if I can tell this succinctly, this, uh, hopefully this is not too long of a story because this is about you. And then we're going to, then Good. we're going to turn everything about great. you. Okay, great. You're, yeah. And so I went to China with a buddy of mine uh-huh. and my buddy is a year and a half younger than me, uh-huh. but he's uh, a CrossFit guy. And we were going there to like maybe develop some like some products in China. So we just went there for a week to this sure. big expo. And he was at that time, his name's Dan, Dan Wells. At that time, he was on the cover of Men's Fitness. Okay. With his shirt off, looking great, whatever. And I said, bring that magazine. So when we show these people we're making an exercise product, like show them you're on the cover yeah. of this magazine. Yeah. So we get there and it's a... It's called the Canton Fair in Guangzhou, uh-huh. uh, the Canton uh, province, and uh, they. Um, uh, if you picture a football field full of like all different vendors, it's forty of those. Wow. Like, there's not enough time to even go through all. Of right. Those. So we uh, met a woman um, in like the food court area who is a translator and can help us, you know, navigate it, whatever. So we hire her, mm-hmm. and I said, "Here's the deal: we're making this 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 product, this exercise product, and her English seemed seemed great." passable decent at this point right. and and so um this is this is my friend dan so he's on this magazine and i have an apparel brand but we're doing this this we're trying to get this product to going together this mm-hmm. athletic product whatever and where she's like okay i got it so we go around we're pitching all these different vendors and stuff and she's showing them the um 
like it would be racist if I did like an impression of her in a Chinese accent, like in Chinese explaining. Sure. It would be racist. No, I don't know. Go like if for I was it. like, because I'm, I'm like, we're standing back. She's like, oh, I'm not thinking about it. You don't know what she's saying, basically. Yeah, yeah. right, right. But you. is that, but is that a thing? I don't think so, because you're not necessarily like, like you're not, you're, you're saying what you heard, right? So yeah. You're not, you're not making fun of her. You're not making a funny face or anything no. right now. You're saying this is what it sounded like to yeah. me. Go yeah. Go for it. Still probably a little bit racist. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she's doing this, whatever. So everything's all set. Then we were back home and we're like, okay, we found a few people that we were going to work with, whatever. And, and um, she's like, and I was doing like a, like a Zoom with her or something like that. And um, she, she's like, oh, is your son here? My son? Yeah, the, the, you were with. Wait, what do you, what do you mean? The, who, who you were with? Your son? I'm like, who do you think is my son? That's Dan. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, yeah. She's like, you, you have an apparel company that does very well. And so you launched a magazine to put your son on the cover so you could help your son with his Hilarious. career. I'm I like, love it. wow. I love and so it. that's what she told everyone. That's fantastic. So here I am with like so a great... So you're a media mogul because you launched a magazine. I, I don't care about that. I'm the father of my friend. you're looking at it the wrong way. You are now the... Uh, you are the... Uh, a media um, magnet. You're a media the magnet. The Larry Flint of the... <laughs> The Larry Flint, if you want to go there, I was thinking more. Uh, uh, what's the guy? The, the Australian guy, uh, uh, the the right wing, uh, the guy who owns Fox. Uh, my 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 pillow. My pillow guy. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure, Zane, you're the my pillow. No, guy. what's his name? Murdoch. You're, Murdoch. You're yeah, the Rupert, Rupert Murdoch. Murdoch. Mm-hmm. In her mind, she's mm-hmm. like that is who that, has a very unsuccessful so, son. And then when you go and you play it in your head again, you're like, wait a minute, I did hear her say well, you're, uh, Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. I heard Murdoch. Exactly. Well, for me, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go lose 20 pounds and shave my beard because yeah, I can't be yeah. my friend's father, dude. I, I think I think we do what we can, which is like you said, you know, try and stay relatively fit. Mm-hmm. I like to drink, but it's sometimes when I look at some people who drink a lot, yeah, and the guy's like, "Yeah, I'm, you know, 52," and I'm like, three years old." Well, you go back to like, you, if you go back home or wherever. So you yeah. moved here when you were six, six, yeah. And then where did you live? Northern California. Northern Myrtle. California. Yeah. And so when you go back home, sometimes there's people your age. You're yeah. like, "Whoa, bro!" Yeah. You kind of yeah, you pick it up a little bit. It's sad. It, it makes you sad because it reminds you you're getting older. But it, but it's sad to see those people getting older and unhealthy. Do you remember living in Iran? Very little. I was a kid, so I remember yeah. like playing. We had a big house. I remember playing in the yard, and um, it was very Western influenced back then. So uh-huh. I remember like um, Muhammad Ali was big because he was the world champ at mm-hmm. the time, early seventies, mid seventies, and being a Muslim, I think people in the Muslim world loved him. So we would see his fights. Sometimes my dad was a big fight fan, so yeah. we'd see that. I had a bunch of Muhammad Ali dolls. I remember being a fan of Spider Man. I had Spider Man you know comic books i remember seeing rocky when i was in iran i wonder if like cream abdul jabbar also transcended probably he might have he might have yeah he might have yeah those are names that probably did and also back then again going back to this idea of everybody knew that person because it was boxing was like the greatest thing yeah basketball you know, you know. I'm sure people knew of the name at least, right? right? But, now, but but boxing individual sport at that time, bigger than the UFC is bigger. Now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't tell you who the champs are in the UFC. Yeah, but everybody knew Muhammad Ali. Yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, those were the influences back then in in Iran. Yeah, uh, it was um, like I said, it was very Western influence, but there was also, you know, um, certain things of of Iran that. Uh, it was it was a good life. My father was a successful businessman, so he had an electric company, so we had a big house. Why the move? Because of the, there was a revolution. Uh-huh. So the revolution starts happening in uh, in the late seventy eight. I think protests start happening in the in the seventy eight. Protests start happening in the streets of Iran, mm-hmm. and the revolution officially happens in early seventy nine when the Shah leaves and Ayatollah Khomeini comes. Mm-hmm. But we had left by late seventy eight. So my father with was a, on, with a lot of people. People were starting to flee. So my right. father had was on business in New York in the late uh, late seven in late seventy eight, and I think people in Iran felt that the Shah would uh, squash the or quash the the protests and be able to you know bring back order and, mm-hmm. and there wasn't it, nobody saw the revolution happening. Right. So my dad told my mom, "Hey, listen, I'm here." And my sister and I were on our uh, two-week, uh, uh, we were on a, on our winter break from school. 
So he's like, why don't you come bring the, you know, me and my sister and you guys can go back in a couple of weeks. And I always say we packed for two weeks and we stayed for 40 whatever years because right. we didn't go Did back. He, oh, so he really did think there was a potential that you'd return. I think everybody thought there was a potential they'd return. What's interesting, if you ever get a chance, if you go on YouTube, put um, uh, uh, you could put Iran hostage crisis, Ted Koppel. Uh-huh. There's all these shows from the late 70s, early 80s of Nightline. Nightline became Nightline because of the Iran hostage crisis. Right. So what happened was there, the show was being called uh, America Held Hostage Iran Crisis or something like that. Right. And like day 142, they started calling it Nightline. And there's a there's on YouTube, Ted Koppel going, you know, we we're going to start calling this Nightline from now on. Oh, but, wow. but we're we're still focusing on the Iran crisis, blah, blah, blah. And he's sitting there in front of a typewriter and then people yeah. would come on a screen. He would talk to them. And it's crazy because I'm watching that and, I'm, and it hit me for the first time watching it. I go, gosh, my parents must have been watching this every night thinking, when is the news going to come that... I mean, it's like it's like COVID in a way. Exactly that. Yeah. I told my wife, I said, imagine if you thought COVID was going to end in a year, but it mm-hmm. didn't end for 40 years. Right. And you kept watching because people kept thinking, oh, we're going to go back, we're going to go back. And then a lot of people couldn't go back. Did they just... lose their house then? My father had a lot of property and mm. stuff back in Iran that he left. And then he brought, he was able to get money out because he was doing business with American companies yeah. at the time. So we came to America. He had a lot of money. He bought some properties in Marin, uh, turned around, sold them, was doing well. And then the recession of the early 80s hit. So he started bleeding money because, mm-hmm. you know, and losing money that way. And then he ended up like by the late 80s, early 90s, he'd kind of lost all of his money. And at that point, it had been 10 years since the revolution. And the government said, listen, because we had a lot of money and uh there was a brain drain that left at the revolution. So right. the Iranian government said, look, if you're... Me- meaning that like a lot of smart people... Doctors, yeah. businessmen, whatever, took off and left because if you had been successful under the Shah, a lot of them were then being persecuted and the, co- and the country went from what was more Western or open-minded mm-hmm. to a religious, you know... A, Zealots and yeah, basically a, a, a theocracy. Right, right. And it became very dark very fast. They started executing people that were um, part of the Shah's regime. So there was like public executions and all kinds of crazy stuff. And then wow. that led quickly into the into a war with Iraq because Saddam saw the potential to go in and take the oil on the border of Iran and Iraq. Right. And then Khomeini <laughs> thought, oh no. Look, we succeeded in, in in having the Islamic Revolution happen, so we will now spread our Islamic Revolution and fight the Iraqis. So then they go into war with each other, and some you know several million people die at that war. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was dark in Iran, but yeah. but after the ten years, I think the Iranian government realized, oh my God, we lost a lot of people that left. So then the, they got the message out saying, look, if you fled the country during the revolution, but you weren't like you know, cousins with the Shah or really, you know, right hand man. Yeah. Come back. So my dad went back and at that point he had all these properties he'd left behind for ten years and he went back to try and do things with those properties, but then was told, Look, you owe all these back taxes oh, for God. The, whatever. Yeah. So <laughs> so then he was kind of stuck trying to find partners that had money that could pay the back taxes so they could take the property and turn it into something. Wow. So it was it was really a um it was a, it, it was a, you know, shock to the system. You know, somebody mm-hmm. recently I was talking to this, to this person who's an Iranian American analyst, and he said, you know, a lot of the people in the diaspora, he said, uh, and people there, they go, we we live with PTSD. Right. You know, when you hear these people like f- fleeing Syria, for example, because there's a civil war, you hear the stuff going on in, you know, Palestine with the, you know, Israelis and the Palestinians. You know, imagine you're living in a home and then all of a sudden it's destroyed. Well, that's that causes trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like it's not like somebody saying, oh, we're moving from Culver City to Westwood. Right. We're in a home and it gets, you know, bombed or you're in you're in your country and all of a sudden the government flips. Imagine if if the in, if the insurrection had succeeded. Yeah. And they had said, you know, in their mind, they continue to believe that the election was a fraud. So imagine if the insurrection had succeeded and they had actually, you know, executed uh, Nancy Pelosi or Pence. and Pence. Yeah. And Trump had continued to say, see, that's what I'm talking about. 
we are the rightful winners of this election. And not only that, but now I'm going to deploy the military to make sure that nobody, you know, and, and by the way, I'm going to nullify all the Democrats in Congress because they don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, that, you know, it right. could, And right. it went that way. Well, you know, your whole world is flipped upside down. And then now you're forced to flee this country and go live in a country you don't speak the language. I'm going to, I'm going to go to Argentina and live. Mm-hmm. And here I am a successful, you know, uh, whatever, lawyer or whatever I am in this country. And I go over there. I don't know the, I don't know the legal system. I don't know anything. I don't know the language. Mm-hmm. So I got to go work at a gas station. Right. That happened to these people. Right. You know, so. Yeah. Um, and, it, and as you're, you're six and you're kind of thinking of it as a vacation. Absolutely. Right. As a kid, for me, it was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I don't have to go to school. Yeah. And my father, by the way, being a successful businessman, he was staying at the Plaza Hotel in wow. New York, which was across the street from FAO Schwartz, biggest toy, toy store in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out, by the way, that it was one of the coldest winters in, in New York in a long time. It was late. It was 78, winter of 78. So my dad would, whatever, have meetings by day, and it was me, my sister, and my mom going around, you know, go to Macy's and, you know. Like living at the plaza for a while? Living at the plaza, wow. ordering, uh, you know, I remember discovering strawberries with whipped cream. That was like our thing. We yeah. order strawberries or sometimes with strawberry sundae. You know, now my kids have sweet tooth, and I, and I, and I sympathize with them because my sister and I, that's all we do. We sit in right. a hotel room. In Iran, maybe cartoons were on for like, you know, a half an hour or yeah. an hour a day the third monday the, of every it, other month exactly yeah. <laughs> in america it's like five hour yeah. you go from popeye to woody woodpecker to yeah. bugs bunny to yeah leave it to beaver whatever i was like oh my god this is the best so yeah for me it was an extended vacation you know what kids don't have now is uh saturday morning cartoons oh my god it was the, the best. significance of waking up early by the way not too early because they, they started like if you wake up too early you had to watch some like weird local stuff yeah and then cartoons that's when we got them yeah, I and remember, then and then shortly after that, it was just like after school, and then it was an explosion. I remember, I think it was like Empire Strikes Back or something, because I got to sometimes I got to go back and look at like IMDb to find out when these movies came out. Right, because I go Star Wars, I think came out in '77, I think, so yeah. I wasn't here yet. But Empire Strikes Back came when I was here, mm-hmm. and I remember waking up that morning when it was coming out. Yeah, and watching the Saturday morning cartoons. I was up at whatever seven or eight, yeah. knowing that. My parents were going to drop me and some friends off at like noon to go watch the matinee. And it's so exciting. I'm yeah. like, oh, what a day this is going to uh-huh. be. You know, popcorn, uh-huh. you know, Empire Strikes Back, you know, probably on the way back, maybe get pick up some action figures. You know, I mean, it was just like, what a world, what a life. I know. You I know? know. It's it. It's funny if you think about. So, you know, like Back to the Future was 1985 and they went back to 1950. 55. Yes. And it was like, wow, everything is so different. And I actually started during the pandemic. I so my my stand up is about mostly about my like drinking, not necessarily me going out and getting drunk or whatever, but like going to different countries and yeah. different drinking customs and kind of the weirdest stuff that happened was when the cameras weren't rolling. Right. Um but during the pandemic, I got asked to do um a uh, a corporate like a corporate Christmas party virtual, which right. is like, you know, awesome. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's great money, but it's a tough, tough thing. Yeah. And they said, Oh, by the way, um, you know, most of the company is uh Mormon. Uh-huh. So maybe don't do your, your drinking jokes. Oh gosh. So I had to write like a Mormon whole, jokes. I, I, no, I know. I just, I, I just was like, wow, I'm going to treat this as an exercise. I'm going to yeah. write some like new stuff, you take know, my wives, please. Yeah. <laughs> take my wives. <laughs> exactly. And so I started doing this, like, I just like kind of free flow writing. And I just was, had this joke that kind of dissipated because uh-huh. I was talking about how in back to the future, 1985, you went back to 1955 and yeah. whoa, everything's so crazy. Yeah. And then, but if we went back 30 years, it wouldn't even be 1985. Yeah. And I was like, and how similar things are. And then I started like dissecting it and like, no, they're not. No, they're not. You know, yeah. people just iPhone, computer, just everything at your fingertips, you know? Well, it's crazy because I have been asked to do, uh, so I went to, to UC Berkeley undergrad. So a few years back, I, I'd done stuff for them. And then a few ba- years back, they go, listen, we have our incoming freshmen. And part of our welcome week 
would you do stand-up for them? Uh-huh. And I was like, sure. So they got me and Sammy Obeyed, who was another alum, and uh, we'd do our shows. And, and the first time I went, this was like maybe three, four years ago, I did the math, similar to what you said, because I was like, it's not just when I graduated. I graduated college in 1993. Mm-hmm. I got into college in 1989. Mm-hmm. So I'm going, 1989. I did the math, and it was about 30 years later. So I go, that would mean I'd be sitting there, and there'd be a guy from 1915 on <laughs> That's, yeah. Blew my mind. Right. And, I was like, and I was like, wait a minute. I'd be sitting here going, who is this old fart? I don't relate with it, relate right. to him at all. So that was my worry when I went on stage. I, I was think like, old people were old people back then. They were old people, because what happened for me was, it actually ended up being... Kind of cool because I do a lot of material about like my parents and like, you know, how I struggled with my immigrant parents and they mm-hmm. didn't want this, they didn't want that. So these kids, me complaining about my parents, they related in comp- complaining about their parents. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Right. And then also I realized I just did another one the other day. Um, and again, I thought, God, really, these college gigs are like they should get someone in their 20s. Why are they getting me <laughs> 49? But I did a lot of material about COVID. And it relate, and mm-hmm. it relate. They related, so it's um, it's it's interesting having that challenge of, um, like you said, whether it's Mormons that don't drink, mm-hmm. or people that are you know Generation thirty years younger yeah. than you, yeah. and finding like how do I get the key to this audience? You know what? It, it's it, it's occurring to me now, and I may be wrong because this is not even well thought out, but it's like. I wonder if that generational gap, because of the the information age that we're in, has broadened. So a twenty year old isn't that different from a from a fifty year old now as much as it was. Maybe you're back, right. Yeah, yeah. Then, because you're right for whatever reason. Because when you say Snapchat, I know what that means. When right. You say TikTok, I know what. I, I might have even just done a TikTok video. Yeah. That said, there's still like moments where my daughter, who's ten. I'll be getting ready to post a story on my Instagram and she'll be like, can I see that phone for a second? I go, sure. And she just like pimps my ride. You yeah. Know, she adds colors and this and yeah. that and it's nothing that I even thought about. Right. And she just does it second nature. And so I know that I'm a little bit of a dinosaur, but I also know that I can still relate. Um, and you're right, because back then... You know, whatever they're listening to Perry Como records, and they, you know, you have to go listen to your record. I had my dad. My dad was. This is. It's so cliche, but my my dad was like, "Turn off that noise." You know, like that was like yeah. said so much, like yeah. you know. And and by the way, it was like, I don't know, like Van Halen, which yeah. is now kids would be like, "That what is that, dude?" You want to feel Classical? old? Watch any music awards show, and you'll feel old because they're like, you know, the best album it goes to mm-hmm. Smakulalu, and you're like, who's Smakulalu? You yeah. don't know Smakulalu oh, oh, now? Yeah. Oh, oh God, it's the worst. Yeah, because the- I was at Disneyland two days ago, and Mel was like, "Oh, that's so and so," and I was like, "Who that? Who's that?" And it was a guy with an entourage, and she's like, "He's a famous rapper." I'm like, Ugh. By the way, I know his music. I just didn't know him. Didn't know him, and then you know they do. I mean? And then they did. They were. They did like a, uh, uh, you know, a lifetime achievement award for. I forget who it was. It was like younger than Mary J. Blige. Oh, no. It oh, was no. like a someone lifetime achievement for someone that. Yeah, right. <laughs> someone who I in my mind I was like, wait a minute, I'm older than. Yeah. It, it was like lifetime achievement award for I don't know who it was. It was somebody like like Salt from Salt, but whatever it was, whoever yeah. it was. I'm going. Oh my god! It's like, yeah. Don't give me a lifetime achievement award until I'm done. They're gonna achieving. be ninety. Like yeah. they're gonna be ninety. Like yeah. not 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 younger. Not forty four. When you went to uh, uh, UCLA for your PhD, yeah. What what did you study? So um, I got uh, my whole uh, journey was a little detoured because my parents were typical immigrant parents, lawyer, doctor, engineer. Kind you will of be. Thing more than us because you have all these opportunities yeah and we have a name in the community and you should do this and do that and mm-hmm. at the age of 12 like at 10 i fell in love with eddie murphy want to be like eddie murphy mm-hmm. at the age of 12 i was doing plays in school musicals and every time we do a show the director would tell my parents he's got what it takes like your kid like is good at this mm-hmm. and they'd be like okay and then we get in the car and they'd be like that bitch is crazy yeah you know, right. <laughs> so going into college it was like just be a lawyer so i studied poli sci i think i'm gonna be a lawyer mm-hmm. then my junior year i go to italy to study abroad there's a professor i love what he does and i think okay that's what i'll do i'll just be a professor mm-hmm. that's kind of a good compromise between <laughs> lawyer to please my parents and comedian which is what i want to do so I, I got into the PhD program at UCLA to get my PhD to become a professor in political science. Ah. But what happened was um, I went and auditioned for the 
the big play they were doing there in the theater department. Ah. While I was there, I was like, let me try this. And really, if you're a serious PhD student, you're spending your time getting PhD ready to, yeah, stuff. PhD yeah. stuff. <laughs> not running off and rehearsing. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. So right. what would happen is at, at nighttime, I'd be at rehearsals and be like, I love this world. And then by daytime, I'd be in classes and our conversations would always be, well, what's our purpose as political scientists? And they were yeah. like, publish or perish. So it wasn't so much teaching, but rather come up with a theory yeah. that explains something write a book about it and go to conferences around the world and defend your theory. You're, you know, so I was like, I don't yeah. want to do that. Right. So I dropped out the first year. I did two plays. I stayed in, I did, I did the spring, I did the fall play and I was ready to get out. And yeah. then this director who was, who was directing the spring play was like, Hey, I'd love for you to be in my spring play. So I was like, all right, I'll just hang out and go to poli sci classes so I can do that second play. So you paying tuition to do the play? I paid tuition to do the play. Here's <laughs> how stupid I was back then because the tuition back then was $8,000. That's not much at all. Wow, no, yeah. that's great. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm taking an $8,000 loan out. Yeah. But first of all, I always thought, oh, I'll make the money back and pay it off. But more importantly, I was like, you know, they give us this student ID card that gets us $2 off movies in Westwood. Mm -hmm. So if I see 4,000 movies, mm -hmm, yeah. I'll break even. Your math checks out. That was so that was my plan. Yeah. yeah. How, how are you doing? Have you caught up there? I think what I mean? saw three movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, was a, that is a very cool school to go to. Just a cool campus and a cool vibe. Well, you say, well, I like Berkeley better than UCLA. UCLA is similar to Los Angeles at the time. Los mm -hmm. Angeles has gotten a little bit better, but it was very decentralized. Yeah. So there was some activity here, some activity there. But oh, it's not like centralized. Is like it's not. It doesn't revolve around Westwood, really, or a little bit. It's just. It's just. It doesn't. It doesn't have. It didn't have that. Like Cal, you show up at noon at Sproul Plaza, yeah. which is the main plaza. It was packed, and there was yeah. crazy people screaming about like Jews for Jesus, and then there was a homeless guy. That Did you was... go there when the naked guy was there? Yes, I was there when the naked guy was there. So to, so that was a guy who. Went to class and yes. everywhere completely naked. Yeah. So what happened with that guy was so you saw his penis. Yes. Hmm. Mm. There was like a there was a nudist movement that was happening. So and, and it was like the hippies around yeah. Berkeley. Of, yeah, it's Berkeley. Yeah. Always hairy. Always like I was like, why do the most unattractive I know. people gotta yeah. be? <laughs> you go to a nudist speech, you're like, no. Can't you guys yeah. recruit a few hot people? This is just <laughs> yes. not cool. Yeah. Or skip a meal. Super meal. So that was them. So then this guy was actually a good-looking young young dude. He was a student. He joined them. And so he would show up once in a while. And I remember one time walking back to like from campus to my apartment, whatever, and I look back. He's like a few steps behind me walking like with a – he had like – I think he had like a toga thing around his waist. And I don't remember if his penis was coming out of it. I don't remember that part. I just yeah. remember like I was like, I was like oh, this, that's the naked dude. And I heard late years – so he got some popularity – he supposedly posed, I think, in Playgirl magazine. Oh my god! And then I think he either committed suicide or died or something. That's what I heard. Oh, so it was interesting. I don't know what his, you know, mo was, it, was. I thought it was like, like a almost like, uh, obviously anti-establishment, but also it was like there was he was showing that it was like it wasn't illegal because there was like things that like whatever. And I don't know if it's because around an educational institution or whatever it was but it was a movement you know i think you know obviously students are very motivated obviously yeah. you go to any protest is mostly students yeah. right so he found his cause and that was his thing and and I, and, I, and i and i look pretty good but i'm not wearing clothes so i think yeah, he's good looking I, probably, I think yeah. he i think he if i'm not mistaken a lot of girls were like oh I, oh yeah like they were into it you know oh, so yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a good stunt oh my god well we're talking about it yeah yeah uh it. and now we're going to talk about Pandemic Warrior. Where first of all, your the titles of your specials: Axis of Evil Comedy Special. Yeah, uh, which I remember that was two thousand seven. Yes. Uh, Brown and Friendly. Yes. I come in peace. Yes. I'm not a terrorist, but I play one on TV. Yeah. Immigrant. Yeah. Uh, which is currently on Netflix. Netflix. And then your new one, which is on Peacock, NBC's yeah. uh, uh, network channel thing. What do you call that? F streaming network. Streaming network. Yeah. Uh, Pandemic Warrior, which yeah. you shot in Dubai. Dubai, yes. Right before the pandemic? Yeah, so in 2019, I was doing a tour in the Middle East, decided to shoot the special in Dubai, and then come back, and I was like, oh, I'll edit this, sell it somewhere. And... I, did you, so did you pay to shoot that? Yeah. Oh, wow. I've paid to shoot... Let me see which ones. I paid to shoot uh, I Come in Peace. I paid to shoot... I'm not a terrorist, but I paid one on TV. And I paid to shoot Pandemic Warrior. Those three I paid to shoot and then sold them. Great. 
and I will do it with emphasis she, she's every like, time. She's like, no, you didn't. And Mel slammed the door <laughs> yeah. and left. Liars! Um, so, um, yeah, those. So, so this one as well. I was in the region. I said, let me just shoot it. And um, meaning shoot it, meaning for people who don't understand, um, you you used your money, hired your hired your own crew. Yeah, yeah. A director. Um, I directed it or yeah. I co-directed. I mean, someone that was out there calling. I've them. learned now the the because what happens is you know the the only one I had where the guy had a truck and he was calling the calling the the shots as he was going. Yeah, was the one um, uh, I come in peace mm-hmm. in Sweden and the guy. The production team we found the guy goes you want me to bring my truck and call it as we go and we're like how much and it was not that much we're like uh, yeah bring the truck yeah because we go at least we end up starting with a a, a full edit like right, a, you know. right 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 so what i've there's a few things i've learned one was my brother-in-law of all people who's a comedy fan he pointed out to me years ago a bill burr special where he was standing in front of a curtain and just doing it and he said i really love this special because there's not that many audience cutaways, so it feels like I'm in the room mm-hmm. watching, and mm-hmm. they're kind of like medium shots. Mm-hmm. So I go, oh, that's interesting. So I started watching specials with that in mind, because <clears throat> if you give it to an editor, a lot of times editors go, oh, go to the audience, come back, go right. to the... Only go to the audience when you need to cut between... Uh, because usually, as, as you know, we film two, two shows, yep. and then you take the best show, then you edit in any fixes you got to fix. Yep. And so... One thing was um, I realized, okay, we're going to stick with as much of me as possible and we're going to stick with as much as medium shots of me as possible. So people watching at home feel like they're part of the audience. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty simple. So then you just tell this guy, whoever you get to shoot it, you go, I need four cameras, one wide, one close up, one medium, and one on the audience. And just give me those four. And it's been pretty simple. And so I've always been, except for Immigrant, which was, paid for by um uh netflix mm-hmm. where then i had a director on board like yeah you know, they gave me a real budget yeah so i was like oh, i can pay someone to come de- direct this yeah and even then he gives me a he gives me his cut and i look at it, i go guys there's way too many audience shots i don't need to see the audience that yeah. much um and uh and yeah so so we filmed it in dubai with the intention of coming back and selling it in early 2020 pandemic hits and then i see some specials that come out under the lockdown yeah and it felt like they've been shot on mars because there was an audience together there was no masks the comic was talking about getting stuck in traffic or there was no traffic at the time so i was like oh gosh you know i was like let's 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 keep trying to sell the special but if we sell the special i said i want to do a few minutes that we edit into the top where i'm performing oh yeah at home right into the camera and just putting in perspective Right. So the special starts with me in this tiny little room going, Hey, I the special you know, I shot this in Dubai, but now I'm shooting it in my closet because that's what's going on. I do some jokes about being under the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Now let's go watch what I shot and then at the very end I come back and I do some more closet comedy, I call it. Yeah. You know. Your engagement with the audience is great. Now keep in mind I'm performing in front of in a brewery yeah. in front of drunk people. Yeah, uh, you different. you probably had less drunk people, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> significantly yeah, less yeah. at yours, and so it felt it felt so safe when you engaged with yeah. the people, and yeah. you know, like finding out who is you know who was from there, and kind of yeah. having those dialogues, and so, I mean, how how did that that has to, obviously that's different in every every time you do, do it. I tend to do that all the time. I did that in immigrant as well, and I don't know when I picked it up, but I started doing that, and it became part of my shtick you could say now yeah. where i go into the audience and i find a few people and you know hey uh what's your name eugene where are you from blah, 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 blah. and i have like four or five people and then throughout the show i go back to them it helps me connect with that audience that audience feels like oh this is a unique show to right. us even if some of the jokes might be jokes i've done before right they feel like it's new and yeah. sometimes that presents a something different that you weren't expecting yeah. like in this case for example in the pandemic warrior anyone any americans here one guy claps oh what's your name abdullah you're right. not you're an american named abdullah where where I, I live in north carolina really yeah so that was like great because i and then and then for me i'm gonna riff anyway and if it works great i throw it into the special if it doesn't then i just cut it right. out right right so um, how, how long was that performance uh, you mean how time wise? Yeah, yeah. It's about like an hour and fifteen, hour and twenty or something. And I look at, it, I go, that's gonna be, you know, you. I remember when I did the Netflix one, they told me to go look. You don't want to come in more than an hour ten, right? 
simply because people lose interest. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? It's interesting because I was watching Chappelle's, which I was really enjoying. But 45 minutes in, I was like, oh, how much longer is this going to be? Mm-hmm. So I go, if Chappelle, if, if I'm at Chappelle's and I'm getting tired, people are definitely get tired of mine. Yeah. So like, let's just try and, you know, you know, edit it down a little bit. Now, when I went back and added the pandemic bit, it ended up being, I think the, the special now is like an hour and I don't know, 12, 13 or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think what if you re- remind yourself that you can fail during the taping because you're going to have a second taping. Yeah. Or if you're going to do one taping, you definitely should go long because then you'll then, have stuff to yeah, cut out. Yeah, you need you need to have stuff to cut out. Yeah. What what does um Habibi mean? Habibi is like a term of endearment. It's like saying my friend, my love, my buddy. In what language? In Arabic. So okay. I picked that up over there. So you're Got like it. Habibi, like you know, it's like a term. And then for women, you would say Habibti, like parents say to their kids. Yeah. You say to somebody like, "Hey, dear." You know? I, I liked it. Yeah, yeah it's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And also, like I said, like uh, you know. They crowds I've come to see appreciate you doing that. It can't get out of control. I was just I just went back to Dubai to do a show for the comedy festival. Oh, you when when were you there? Just last week. Wow. Yeah, and 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 there. What's the pandemic situation? They they're they're uh, very well vaccinated. They're mm-hmm. still wearing masks. They they don't have the crazy people that we do where like they, there's protests against the mask and stuff because you get in trouble. <laughs> Yeah, you can't yeah. punch a flight attendant for asking you to put a mask on. Exactly. Okay. So they don't have that. So yeah. they they abide by the rules. But the show was such that I again I do my crowd work and the stage was set up in a way where it was this like arena and to go to the bathroom you have to walk past the front of the stage. At least the people in the front area. Right. So they started doing it and I couldn't help but I have to yes I have to acknowledge it yes and then people kept doing it yeah and they kept doing it and then it became it, it for me it was fine for the show but after the show I got feedback some people were like oh I love the crowd work it was great you know you making fun of those people a couple of people hit me up they're like I had a horrible time at your show because it kept getting interrupted blah 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 I'm like gosh there's nothing no, no, I can that, do no that's that's the show yeah. you have to understand it's yeah. the whole it's the whole thing yeah, you yeah. can't if you if you just power through it and don't acknowledge it then how is it unique to that situation yeah. if you if you're a comedian and you ignore things that are happening like when Mel left and she closed the door to yeah, yeah. like if you don't acknowledge that then yeah. people are like is he not is he is he is calling he this in yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so so you're um so you you went. I mean, your special was filmed in Dubai. Yeah, and you just went back there. Did you yeah. go back there a bunch? Yeah. So when we went, when when we did Access to Evil in two thousand seven, we went there for the first time, and I toured there. We did a big tour in the Middle East, and it was like twenty seven shows in thirty days, sold out. We we became you, like wait, I'm sorry, you did a a thirty, you did twenty seven tour dates, twenty seven tour dates in thirty days in the Middle East between Dubai. Wow. Which is UAE, so mm-hmm. United Arab Emirates. So we did Dubai, we did Jordan, we did Lebanon, um, Egypt, and Kuwait. Wow. So, you know, some cities like like uh, and, Lebanon. And what were, the, what were the venues? Lebanon, they have a casino called Casino du Liban. Okay. Because it's in French. They speak French, English, and Arabic there. Yeah. And that's a thousand seater. So the promoter was like, yeah, when we bought your when we bought the tour, like when we, you know, subcontracted it, we bought one night and we sold out... A, like that so we bought a second night sold out that ended up doing five nights in lebanon um did like a week in dubai followed by a big outdoor amphitheater to close it wow so we became so what happened was because at the time there hadn't been comedians from the u.s who went to the middle east to perform for the people of the middle east right usually they would especially go to with perform, relatable content especially from that background yeah. and by the way they'd been so there's a double double whammy because there had never been a group of Middle Eastern American comedians on American television. Mm-hmm. I always say, like, it was me, Ahmed Ahmed, Aaron Cater, Dino Bedala. Like, it was the first time you had four Middle Eastern or Muslim comedians or performers on television. We didn't get killed. It was like, yeah. oh, that's a pro- that's progress. That's right. So we come out, we create some buzz here by doing that. We get a lot of press around it. This is still during the Bush era, Iraq War, Dick Cheney, waterboarding, Al Qaeda, all that shit's still mm-hmm. there. So we, um, you know, like I said, press-wise, we were New York Times, we were, you know, Time Magazine, Hustler, you name it, we were getting coverage. So it did pretty well here, but it, and and by the, at that point, YouTube was just starting to take off, so our clips were getting passed around. Mm-hmm. 
So I was on email lists of people passing my clip around. They didn't know I was part of the email list, oh, but wow. I was on it. Wow. I go, oh, people are getting to know me. So eventually, this gets known in the Middle East. And then the, the there's a, a cable network there at the time called Showtime Arabia. They buy it. They air it. That helps promote us there. So when we land, we felt I felt like we became the Beatles over right. the Atlantic. So yeah. we get there and they go, oh, there's going to be a press conference for you guys. I go, who's coming to our press conference? And we show up and there's like 30 news outlets, including American news outlets. And, oh, there's a tour of Middle Eastern comedians performing in the Middle East. So it just gets huge. And then at that point, by the way, comedy is new to them. I because, was going to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. So they knew of, you know, some comedians and stuff. But, but people, again, people haven't been going to perform for them. So all of a sudden, all these big companies are like, oh, we have an event coming up. Why don't you come perform at that? So we started coming and going a lot. So it became a thing where right off the bat, like we couldn't, there there was not enough, like we were getting offers left and right. Come perform at this corporate, this corporate, this corporate, because they'd seen us at their, at the big show. And so, yeah, I started going back and forth to Dubai a lot. And then it became like, so for me, it became, because comedy really is worldwide now. Mm-hmm. So, sure. you know, I go to, I go to the Scandinavian countries, anywhere where they speak English, you're good. So I go to the Scandinavian countries and I'll do like, you know, Norway, Sweden, you know, I'll go do Holland, which isn't, you know, the Scandinavian country, but still it's there. London. Um, and like, I'll do like whatever, seven, eight, and several cities in these countries. So I would do, so my, my tour routine had become like, you know, Middle East, maybe every year and a half, mm-hmm. you know, Europe every year and a half, Australia every year and a half. And then the, the cities in the US. And that gives me enough time to come up with a new act. So the next time I'm back, they're not where, hearing the same. Where are you stuff. coming up with your new material when you're on? Because you're always touring. Yeah, I'm always touring. But when I'm home, I'm I'm at the factory in the store. God, it working out. Doing, so, so you're still out doing your current stuff while you're here working out your new stuff. Pretty much. I mean, it's like on the tour you're working out. You know, you, you sometimes you'll work out some new bits as well. And then when you're home, like over the like what I was, I, I was lucky enough where. The tours were successful enough so that I would tour, let's say, from late January to early, let's say, June. And then I the summer would be off. But mm-hmm. what I would do for the summer is, since I got young kids, I would either book the Montreal Comedy Festival and take my family with me. Or I would do Australia and I would take the family again. Like I would do a month in Australia. I would do like six shows over a month. Mm-hmm. And we'd have nights off to go here and <laughs> By there. By the way, that's exactly what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing in February. Yeah. So... Because, you know, so I don't have to be here in February because it's yeah. summer there. Yeah, you yeah. go down there and you do like, so last time, I think it was summer of 2019 maybe, where I we went we went and did, we did, we did Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Jakarta. Oh, that's awesome. So we did all four of those. Yeah. And it was great. It was a month and it was, you know, interspersed with shows, sightseeing, yada, yada. And then again... Um, uh, in the around, I, I gig then starting from September all the way to like mid December. I would gig, then take off mid December to January, be with the family, do whatever I want. Yeah. So, um, you know, in between when I'm home, that that January when I'm home, or December to January when I'm home, I'm not just sitting with my feet up. Yeah. I'm home for a couple couple of nights, but then I'm like, oh, you guys go to bed at nine nine thirty anyway. I'm going to the comedy store and the factory, and I'm doing. You know, six gigs a week. Yeah, working on material. How long? How long are your sets there when you're working on stuff? Fifteen to twenty minutes. You know, and and so I'm constantly like, you know, it's like going to the gym, right? Yeah. You're constantly, and in doing that, you're you're coming up with newer and newer material. The best is when you've done a special. When you do a special, as you know, you're like, oh great, my special came out. And you're like, oh shit, I gotta get rid of everyone that knows all my stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the best is when you start that new tour and you're able to do an hour without using any of the old right. stuff. And you're yeah. like, oh, this is coming together. Mm-hmm. I didn't need that killer bit. Because at the beginning, you're doing the killer bit. Mm-hmm. But eventually, once that killer bit from the old special mm-hmm. works its way out. But the new stuff, the killer bits start to materialize. Yeah, now you start stuff. finding the new killer yeah. bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but and you got to do it. You got to evolve. You know, I did bits about, you know, having a baby, right? And now my that baby is ten years old, yeah, yeah, so I can't be like, yeah. oh yeah, oh, but it's really yeah. funny. I can, yeah. honey, we're having another baby. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, for the joke. Bring back the joke. So um, you are uh, on the road 
I'm, I'm, I was on your, your website for people yeah. listening, mazjabrani.com. You have dates all, all the way up until November. Raleigh, New York City, Houston, Addison. So you go you go to places and then you're, you're there for a few days. Yeah, so the clubs I do, um, you know, weekends at the clubs. And yeah. then I also intersperse some cities. I'll do a theater. So depending on where I am, it's, yeah. it's either like a performing arts center or it's clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I would love, I mean, ultimately I'd love to be able to just do a theater tour, mm-hmm. you know, but then when you go to the club, sometimes it's great too, because like I just did, I did the Irvine improv seven shows over the weekend. By the seventh show, you're like, Oh, you know, you're flexing. You're like, yeah, oh, yeah, you, know, yeah, you yeah, really yeah. got it. Yeah. Right. You know? mm-hmm. So that's a big part of it too. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, when this tour is over, I look forward to keep, keep going. You know, I've, I've, I've done all this TV stuff, Yeah. but TV is just as, as you know, all too well, I'm sure. It's just so unpredictable and it's yeah. uncontrollable by you. Yeah, things are great. The show's great. I've had been in that situation, dude. Your show, like my show, Three Sheets, number one show on the network. And they, the guy called me, the owner of the network, is like, uh, you know, hey, just so you know, good news and bad news. Oh, okay. Well, your your show is the number one show on the network. In fact, more people knew about your show than the network that it was on. Which brings me to the bad news is that the network's going off the air in two weeks. Which and network so, was that? It was called Mojo. Okay. It was it was one of the first HD networks, uh, and it was great. And wow. everyone who got an HD set from like 2007 to 2009 had four channels, and Mojo was one of them. Wow. And so everyone who got an HD set saw it, which was yeah. a great way to sort of, you know, uh, launch that. But. Well, I was always saying I'm going to do my stand-up tour because no one can come in and cancel that yeah. except God. Yeah. Shouldn't have said it. Shouldn't have said it and like he that. Did. And he did it. Yeah. And he yeah. did it. He, yeah. she? She, it, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The way the way it happened, it felt like a she. Well, I'm not it's saying a, it's that It's a in God way. in a lab, I think, now. Yes. Right? Is yes. that what it is? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God by committee. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, listen, it was amazing meeting you. I, I, I want to do it again because I, I have a lot more questions for you. Yeah. So, maybe in a month or so definitely and start coming to the clubs man you're gonna enjoy it done done do it as long as you heckle me I will I'll be there